destino para ti lo que viniera de ti tu pueblo Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 24 for Sunday, October 13th, 2013. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And as always, we are the creative team behind the documentary film Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. John, what are we talking about this week? Nelson, this week we are talking about, I think the title you have is What is Our Movement? What is our raison d'etre? Um, why are we doing this? What are we trying to accomplish? Yeah. And I think we've both agreed that the the point of doing this is not to get rich and not to become famous. The point of doing this is that we want we're to trying make to difference. make a positive social impact on something that's really affected your life. Yes. Uh, so today we are going to be talking about movements more specifically what is our movement uh, what would we like to accomplish through this film and so uh today we're gonna we're gonna start with what is a movement and there's this great ted talk video that kind of illustrates this very well and we'll go over that and then we'll uh, talk to you a little bit about what we would like to do um, or what we're hoping to accomplish you know i don't know if this is going to happen or not but We'll, we'll just share our thoughts. And then finally, we'll talk about uh, some progress we have made on this front. And um, I, I guess I should say that, you know, defining something like a movement is not going to happen during a podcast. But, you know, I think it's always good to, to be thinking about this, to be talking about it. And hopefully we can find that phrase or tagline that sums up what we're trying to do and really gives voice to uh, everything. And also, a lot of the, the things we're going to be covering, we may have covered at different points throughout our 23 previous podcasts. But I think that it's a lot of this bears repeating um, because some people have come to us more recently and and uh, the story of the disappeared children is, is a little bit hard to grasp. And I, I just think it's good occasionally to, to come back to what's important here. So there we go. Perfect. As you point out, John, we've talked about some of this before. The uh, Derek Sivers TED Talk, which is entitled How to Start a Movement. We, I think we mentioned it in, in another episode. I forget which one exactly. But it's a very interesting video because it illustrates how... Well, it's, a, it's a great visual demonstration. Yeah. Yes. It, it puts it right, it visualizes something for you. Yeah. So in this video, you there's this field of people, and there's one person kind of dancing all by himself, and then the second person starts to yeah, join well, him. And they're, he's crazy. Like, he looks crazy. Yeah. He, he's right. like all by himself. No, everyone is looking at him, and no one wants to join. But then the second person comes like, along. Like a maniac is the point. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's really into what he's doing. Let's just yeah. put it that way. And uh, someone else comes along. And then as Derek Sivers points out, the first guy shows the second guy how to dance. And then eventually a third person comes. And, and then more people start to join. And then eventually 
most of the people on the field are there dancing and the the you know the, the boring... no longer a maniac he's like right. a leader <laughs> yeah and the and the boring people are sitting there looking at this mob of people just dancing in the field and and it's very interesting to see this transition uh from this one person who Derek Sivers uh refers to as the lone nut how he gets transformed from this wacky individual into someone who is leading a group of people on this silly dance craze. Mm-hmm. So that that's the video, and that's kind of the uh, you know best way to explain what we're talking about today. So as always, we'll provide a link in the podcast to where you can watch it for yourself. But it's just a great visual representation of this idea. And our roles are that you're the lone nut, <laughs> and I'm the first guy up, right? I, I, mean, I guess it, so. Yeah. Know, that's not entirely true because, of course, your family is way before me, and you're not alone. And but, but you know, that's sort of the way we're envisioning our roles on this documentary. I started this project. You know, the the first incarnation of this project was the blog and his miracle that I wrote back in 2007 and back then it really was just me you know writing my thoughts and you know spilling my guts to the world as it were but and you you weren't necessarily as connected to other disappeared children at that point either so you probably felt more isolated with with your circumstances very true yes and but in that you know in the dancing that i was doing by myself um, you know, I, I was doing, I was writing the blog and as you say, it was sort of this isolating experience, but as I danced, more people started to join. And I think that, it, you know, it, you were, you were one of the first people kind of in because you read the blog and it excited you. And I remember you writing me and saying, you know, I love what you're doing and please let me know if there's anything that I can do to help. And that is mm-hmm. when you sent me some recording equipment so that we could record one of the interviews. Was the the first one you did was with your parents in New Hampshire, which I is think it on might have a, been. we can post a link. And it's still a it's a great it's a great interview. It was on your the anniversary of your adoption, and uh, it's a great interview. Your parents talk all about the actual adoption and cover a lot of ground that your mother covered in her book, um, and. Uh, it was sort of like, wow, there's there's something here, you know. That <laughs> they had wanted to tell that story in a more public venue for quite some time, I think, and they did a great job with it. Yeah, and you were there to support the effort, you know. So that was mm-hmm. that was rewarding for me, I guess. You know, it mm-hmm. it meant a lot to not be the lone nut, you know, dancing by yourself, but that someone else was there and, and had skin in the game and was helping out. And I think my connection is mainly, like there's two reasons I like to point to in a lot of our our talks and meetings. And one is that I knew you and I knew you from when you were little and I had a couple of memories about that and a personal connection to it. And the second is also just that it's very inspiring when I see people um, there's a quote we have on the website 
um, about when people are trying to create their own history or tell their own stories, essentially they're creating their own histories if it's not a story that sort of fit, that fits within the status quo. And uh, and I just I, I I'm very attracted to that. Yeah. So here we are. Now it's been uh, uh, you know a while. That was all the way back in 2010, and mm -hmm. now it's 2013, and we're working on this project. And as you said from the beginning, we have been thinking about what is the impact that we want to have with this film. And that's a very tough question, and it's a tough thing to summarize in uh, in a short sentence. And I think the way that we've talked about this. Uh, between ourselves is what's our tagline for the film? You know, how do we describe what we're trying to do? What's the change that we're trying to create in the world because of telling the story? And it's a, it's a very difficult question to answer, but it's important because it becomes our guiding light, you know, our North star, it points us in a specific direction and says, this is what we stand for. And, and sometimes it just takes a long time to, to figure that out. So maybe a good way to jump into it is to give some context for the the issues at play. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, it, of course, we've done this a couple times throughout, and, and some people may be 100% aware of it, but I think that it, it is, as we said in the beginning, it's worth repeating, and a lot of people are coming to us, you know, at different times, and um, I mean, I wish we could repeat it in 30 seconds at the beginning of every podcast almost, but, you know, you can't do that, but because um, it takes more than 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to start? Should I, or how, how do you want to? Why don't you start? So okay. why, why don't you tell us, like, what are some of the big issues that, that okay. we face with this? Well, I think in the United States, people aren't, don't have as much of a, a historical memory or context for the Civil War in El Salvador partly because there were very few U.S. casualties. I think there were four, as opposed to a war like Vietnam, where there were over 50,000 U.S. casualties. Um, but at the same time, this was this was a very big war. I, between 70 and 80,000 Salvadorans died, and, uh, and there were a lot of atrocities in it. And, and it's, you know, El Salvador is a lot closer than Vietnam to us. Um, and now, you know, 20, 30 years later, there's a lot of Salvadorans in the United States that are U.S. citizens that were affected by this war. It sounds like we're trying to educate people, right? And, and I'm mm -hmm. going off with what you're saying here. It sounds like we are trying to educate people about what happened in this war that was very close to us geographically, but very few people know about. Mm -hmm. And not just a war, and, but... And we, the, not only was it close geographically, we played a large role in, we funded one side of this war and supported and had a lot of quote-unquote advisors that, that were taking part in it. Um, and, you know, there's we were also... With Iran Contra, it's well documented. We had a lot of covert action going on in the in the region, um, so we we played a large role. And seventy to eighty thousand people died, you know, in a place that's a two-hour plane ride from Houston. 
right? Mm -hmm. um, closer to Houston than Houston is to Washington, as Ronald, Ronald Reagan famously said. Yeah. So, yeah, there's this war not that many people know about. I think we're trying to bring some of that uh, to light and to help people understand it. I know that I've said before that even I don't know all the history and I'm learning a lot through this project about what happened in my own country. I think uh, another place that we're trying to make a difference is in the lives of the disappeared families who were separated during the war, either through the chaos of war or forcibly by, by the uh, government in power. And I, you know, we've talked about this at length, what can we do to help those people that are still to this day, 30 years later, looking for loved ones, you know, and, and a, a lot of people disappeared by death squads, like 8,000, I believe is the, the number. And then also, and you know, that's a weird concept to, to, I think to an American audience, but they disappeared as in like the family couldn't find the body, you know? Um, and, that's that's what the government backed death squads were doing. They were just it's a terrifying way to make people go. Um, and and also a lot uh, between one and two thousand children. The number I think varies depending on whose estimate you take, but it was it was more than a thousand um, disappeared. And in a lot of cases, those children weren't killed. And and um, the organization that found you has found I think close to four hundred. Um, and they still have an open list of 500 children, and they're still finding them 30 years later. And I, I think the only way to let people have some type of understanding of how that's even possible is to say that the situation's a little like Egypt, where you've had a very repressive place for a long time, and people haven't had the tools or the safety, um, and they and even when they some people have fought very hard to come forward, but but uh, it's it's just there's a little, you know there's there's still a lot of suffering from the war that hasn't been addressed. Yeah, and and I think we've always said internally that you know maybe this film will uh, help some of those families by enabling more reunions and getting them answers that they're they're still looking for and you know it, that that's a very difficult thing to to take on because there's no guarantee that we will be able to do any of that or that will will make a difference but you know I, I think that that's why we why it would be worthy of a movement because it's something you know that that we have to work towards over a long period of time you know it's it's not like we can certainly advocate for that yes we can advocate for it. So, so far we've talked about educating people about the war and uh, hopefully doing something meaningful for the disappeared. Uh, do you think there's anything else that we're trying to accomplish with this, with this project? Well, I think one thing that's up to us and not, not, you know, dependent on circumstance or, or other people is, um, is, Giving is this goal, and you know we've been working on sort of encapsulating something in a, a tagline, and so this is this is boiling it down a little bit, but trying to give voice to the voiceless, 
we're trying to tell your story as best we can and relate it back to a broader context and we hope that in telling your story um, a there's you know the the 500 that are still missing <laughs> they're not they're not speaking for themselves you know your your birth mother cannot speak for herself and so the goal of this is is to to speak your story and and hope that it while it's very individual it also represents a, a broader group of people that literally can't or don't even know I mean there's a lot of disappeared that could be an adoptee in Australia that has very little awareness you know and and he could be living a great life he or she you know um, but still that this part of his identity is voiceless you know yeah that's a term that we came up with for the advocate experience as we were getting the page ready and and if you're just joining us, the advocate experience is a way for people to be part of the film as it's being under, uh, as it's as we are working on it, and as we were writing the page and trying to explain it to people, that phrase "giving voice to the voiceless" came out, and it really it it resonated strongly with me because. It, you're right. I, I feel like that's one of the reasons why I'm here and one of the reasons why I started this, you know, writing the blog or whatever was to be that voice. I think that from an early age, I realized my, the opportunity was to be the voice that my parents never had. My birth and this parents. is what you initially said in our first pitch video, right? Yeah. 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 To, to be that voice. So the idea of giving voice to the voiceless, both, you know, being the voice of my parents, but also giving the disappeared a voice was very powerful to me. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's like our movement or our tagline, but I, I feel like that's, you know, we're, we're moving in the direction. We're moving in the right direction that it's going to be something along those lines. And it, it is a very difficult thing, especially when you're so close to it to say this is this is it all right well i think that's a good good place to end it uh, we're running up on running out of time here as always don't forget to check out the website we have the advocate experience going on we're full at the moment but you can still apply we'll be opening that back up so get on the waiting list the link is inbarfilm.com slash TAE for The Advocate Experience. If you're not on the newsletter, you should join. You can subscribe by going to inbarfilm.com slash NL. And that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And we are going to see you next week.